Matthew chapter 2. Today, as we are in part 3 of our Christmas series, we've entitled it after what is really my favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time, It's a Wonderful Life. The movie, though, is not a movie, a story about one man's quest to get out of Bedford Falls. It's really a movie about a family, his wife and his kids. And by the way, that's been our theme here at Oakland Woods in 2017. It's about being a family. It's about ministering to families. The hero of the movie is not George Bailey. Someone told me this week, last week, I, I said that the hero of the movie is Mary. And someone told me they heard on the radio, I think Bob Duco saying, the hero of this wonderful life is Mary. He must have heard me. See, George is actually a very selfish man. Underneath George throughout the entire movie, there's a layer of anger that exists. And today we're going to see, well, we're going to see him in that anger lose it. This is my least favorite scene in this movie. Not because this is a scene that is sad and it feels makes you upset. This is my least favorite scene in the movie because I see myself. I see my flaws. I see how my anger, my flaws, my sin has impacted my family also. So today we start a clip which I've entitled, Stop It. Yes, this is Mrs. Bailey. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Welch. I'm sure she'll be all right. The doctor said that she ought to be out of bed in time to have her Christmas dinner. Is that Zuzu's teacher? Yes. Hello. Hello, Mrs. Welch. Well, it's George Bailey. I'm Zuzu's father. Say, what kind of a teacher are you anyway? What do you mean sending her home like that, half naked? You realize she'll probably end up with pneumonia on account of you? Is this the sort of thing we pay taxes for, to have teacher... Have teachers like you, stupid, silly, careless people that send our kids home without any clothes on. You know, maybe my kids aren't the best dressed kids, and maybe they don't have any decent clothes. Oh, that's stupid. Hey, hello, Mrs. Welch. I, I want to apologize. Hello? Hello? She's hung up. I'll hang her up. Hello, who's this? Oh, Mr. Welch. Okay, that's fine, Mr. Wells. Give me a chance to tell you what I really think of your wife. George, Will you George. get out and let me handle this? Hello. Hello. What? Oh, you will, huh? Okay, Mr. Welsh. Anytime you think you're man enough. You... Hello. Any. Dad, how do you spell hallelujah? How should I know? What do you think I am? A dictionary? Tommy, stop that. Stop it. Janie, haven't you learned that silly tune yet? You're playing over and over again. Now stop it. Stop it. You know, it's hard to watch that sometimes. Especially that look in Mary's eyes towards her husband. Stop it. Stop it. 
stop it. Have you found yourself saying that at times? Have you found your family in that type of chaos and that type of stressful, destructive relationships going on? Have you found yourself with nowhere to turn so you turn on your family instead? I don't know if this thought is going to help you, but it helps me a lot. Today our wonderful thought is this. No family is perfect. You should all just go. Because there's no such thing as a perfect family. Now maybe that shocks you for a few different reasons. Maybe it shocks you because I am admitting that my family is not perfect and has issues. Let me just, let, me just um, let you understand something. Perfection is not the qualification of a pastor. Amen? Maybe this shocks you also because this is Christmas Eve. And you're expecting me to tell you a story about a little baby. But you know the reality? Your family's probably just as screwed up as anybody else's. And what brings it out the most? Christmas. Holidays. Family get-togethers. Stress and chaos. Today, this may be the most free and practical thing you've ever heard a pastor say in your life. Definitely the most honest thing you're ever going to hear a pastor say today. Listen, you need to understand this. This isn't in the notes, but feel free to add this. Every family goes through stress and chaos. There's not a family in here that's immune. I realize some of these people, maybe you're a visitor, maybe somebody brought you here, maybe you come and you think, look at some of these families, some of them wear suits, some of them look so nice, they look like the perfect family and everything. Let me tell you something, a little secret, they're just as screwed up as your family. You look at him and think, oh, he's a perfect dad. He yells at his kids just like you yelled at yours. He, she, she backbites her husband just like you backbite yours. Every family has a stress. Every family has a level in chaos. No one is immune. But today, here's the difference. How will you deal with the stress and chaos? How are you going to deal with the when the issues come into your life, when your marriage has tension points, when you're daughter is on drugs, when your grandson is an alcoholic, when your wife doesn't want to be with you anymore, how will you deal with those stress and tension moments? Let me just give you a couple options. These are, these are very popular options, some of them. Number one, run away. That seems to be a popular option today. <clears throat> just take off, leave your family, let your wife deal with your problems, let your uh, family deal with all the problems, let the government bail you out. Run away. Here's another very popular one today, self-medicate. There are issues in your life. They come up and they trigger a response. You cannot solve these issues, and so instead you choose to numb yourself to the world. I'm going to give you a couple thoughts about this. This has been staying in my mind for the last couple of weeks. First thought is this if you're taking notes. Intoxicants do not change reality. Um, all you are is a drunk or a high person with the same problems. In fact, when you come down, your problems are probably worse because you did something even stupider that got you in the problem. Can I just throw this verse out? Not popular to talk about, not supposed to say this in church anymore, but here's a verse out of my least favorite translation of the Bible. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. I've never yet met anyone that has said, you know, our family was self-destructing, but we found Jack Daniels. I don't know anybody who said, my marriage was saved 
by Budweiser. In fact, parents, I'll just throw this out to you. I've talked with people who deal with addictions. I've talked with uh, Oakland County sheriffs, and they all say the same thing. I ask them the same thing. Have you ever known someone who does heroin? Have you ever known someone who gets involved in heavy drug use that didn't first start with beer? They all say the same thing, and most people get their beer, their first drink, from home. Why would you bring that into your home if there's a potential to poison your family? See, the Bible says whosoever is led astray is not wise. Your family get-togethers have never gotten better when Uncle Leroy shows up drunk. It usually gets worse, doesn't it? Intoxicants do not change reality. Here's the next thought. And I want to say this kindly to some of you because it's probably you. Incidents do not need enablers. Most addicts that I have talked with and I have worked with and seen, most of them have trigger issues in their life that they're trying to escape. Now, I'm not trying to make light of these. These are horrific things that happen. How do you deal with the fact that somebody you trusted as a child did something horrible to you? These are horrific things that they go through. And you know one of the worst part about these opioids, the opioid crisis that we're going through? Most addicts, when you've talked with them, you found out there was something they were trying to numb themselves. They didn't have the resources or the ability. They didn't have counseling or they didn't talk out to somebody. And they were trying to numb them with something. Opioids have taken experimentals. Everyone in here has done something stupid at 16. All right? Opioid has taken those people that just tried to experiment, right? Instead of it just being a, a, a smoking a joint or something like that or drinking a beer at a college party, they take these oh, uh, heroin and things and they become addicts almost immediately. But most people who are addicts and are struggling, there's an incident in their life. They're trying to numb and they're trying to deal with it. One, You know what? That should make us very tender and kind to people who have addictions. Amen? Not look down our nose at them. They're people who have been hurt, who are trying to, trying to get over this pain. But what they don't need, Grandma, they don't need enablers. My love is unconditional with my kids. My love is unconditional. But my money comes with strings attached. I've told my children for, for years, when you turn 18, you want to live in my home. There's a list of things you can do and cannot do. If you want to drink beer, you find somewhere else to live. If you want to smoke, you find somewhere else to live. You will attend my church unless you have some reason, it better be a good reason, why you're attending another Baptist church. That's the only excuse that you can come up with. Listen, stop paying the cell phone bill of somebody who's living a lifestyle you don't support. Stop paying the life and the, or the health insurance for somebody who is an addict. You say, well, what will happen? Well, what will happen, they'll have to come to reality and hit rock bottom and make a decision. I know you love your grandson, but giving him $50 a week is not helping him. You're allowing him to buy more drugs. Amen? That's a difficult thing to hear because what we usually do, we think we're helping, but we're not. You're really, most of the time, we're really just helping ourselves trying to deal with our guilt over their situation. And by the way, just so you understand, you're not an addict based on the amount of times you use. Do you understand? Because someone might leave here and go, well, I only, I only take heroin three times a week. If, if you take four times, those are, the, those are the addicts. I only get high a couple times a week. People who do it every day, those are like, you're not an addict based on the amount of times you get high or get drunk. You're an addict based on the amount, of, the amount you need it to escape. Do you understand the difference? 
You need it to escape. If you're here and you find yourself, I would love to help you. I'd love to connect you with a group. I'll go to an AA meeting with you or anything. I'll find somebody in this church because there is there are people. I know you look around and you think, There's, look at that person. There are people in here who are recovering alcoholics, recovering drug users. There is somebody in here who could help you. And if we can't find somebody in here, I will be glad to drive you to counseling if you don't have a license. You need to get help. Amen? And we will love and help you. Amen? You hear that? We will love and help you. But grandma, grandpa, sir, ma'am, maybe we need to ask if we're hurting more than helping with our enabling. And here's your third option. Third option, find a source of strength. AA tells you to stand up and admit there's a higher power and you're powerless. Well, as a Baptist preacher, I'm going to suggest to you that it's Jesus. Here's the thing. You're going to serve something. Right now, you're serving Visa. Right? You're serving something. There's something you're going to serve. And if you're sitting here thinking, I wish he would stop preaching so I could go out in the parking lot and get high. You're serving something today. I would like to suggest to you, you're going to be a slave to something or someone. I have yet to find anything better than Jesus. And somebody is probably thinking this. This is not a Christmas message. What does this have to do with Jesus? Well, it's a message that might save your family. A message that might save your marriage. A message that might even save your kid's life. But isn't the whole Christmas message about Peace? Throw it up there, Greg. There you go. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. May I suggest to you not only is this a message that you need to hear, that this might actually be the most Christmas-themed message you will ever hear. Because Jesus came to save your soul and to pay the penalty for your sin. Amen? But I would also like to suggest that he came to bring peace. He didn't come to make that your life was perfect. He didn't come to make sure that you never had any problem, that you never had debt, and you never had illness. He didn't come to do that. But he came to bring peace to your family. And too many of us identify more with that scene of George Bailey losing it and flipping the table and screaming at his kids and having to say, I'm sorry, than we do with peace and goodwill towards your family. Don't amen that, but you should. If he's come to bring peace and goodwill, why not start with your family in your marriage? You see, in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus' family is in a chaotic time. They are in a stressful situation. We like to place the wise men, the magi, we like to place them at the manger. But if you've been in Sunday school any length of time, you know that the magi, the wise men, probably didn't show up until Jesus was two years old. They go to Herod thinking, okay, a king would be born in a palace, and so they go to the palace. And they leave that palace here in verse 10 is where we pick up in Matthew 2. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. We will talk briefly, briefly, Gary, tonight about that star. Verse 11. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. By the way, you notice they're not at the manger. And the child is not a baby. It's probably a two-year-old Jesus. And fell down and worshipped him. 
And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Do you notice that it doesn't say that there were three kings or three wise men, right? That's just in a song. There were actually three gifts. There could have been a hundred of these guys traveling together. Probably a lot more. They are probably Babylonian. That's a speculation, but every wise person agrees with me. There are probably Babylonians who came out of the time of the captivity. They probably read the book of Daniel. These gifts are important. Now, some place too much significance, and they try to make these gifts into things that they're not. That's pure speculation. But I'd like to suggest to you that these gifts that these wise men bring are going to help finance this family's escape. Verse 12, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed unto their own country another way. This situation is about to go crazy. In a split second notice, this family is going to have to pick up and move and leave. Verse 13, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now you think your family situation's bad. You think as I'm talking, you're thinking, you know what, no one could ever relate to my situation. Can I just ask you this with all politeness? Is anyone trying to kill you? Oh, let me go one step further. Is anyone trying to kill you and they have the backing of the federal government to do it? This is a crazy, stressful, chaotic situation this family is in. In verse 14, And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed unto Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord the prophet, saying, Oh, out of Egypt shall I call my son. Hosea 11.1. Hosea 11.1 is the reference there. And this story right now is about to go from chaos, stressful, to epically disastrous. Verse 16. When Herod's, when Herod, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and all the coast thereof from two years old, under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Wow. Think of the crying that went on that night. Think of the heartbreak that was in that region. An entire age group of baby boys killed. Something to consider. Consider for your approval. In Matthew chapter 7, 27, verses 52 and 53, at Jesus' death on the cross, there's a group of random people that get up and they're resurrected while Jesus is on the cross. They get up and they go into the city to testify about Jesus. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves until after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared into many. This is my opinion. Feel free to disagree. My opinion is this, that these people who were resurrected here in Matthew 27, these are the same babies that were killed in the verse we're reading today. That's my opinion. A few other people agree with this, some awesome people. But I believe that those that are resurrected during Jesus' time on the cross are the little babies, two and under little boys who died. Verse 17, back here again. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken of Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Jeremiah 31, 15. 
This is Jeremiah 31.15 if you like to put notes in your Bible. In Ramah, it's a small town in that region, was there a voice heard lamenting and weeping great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Now what? Now what? I think Joseph and Mary had to be thinking of that. Now what, God? First, there's the whole virgin birth stuff and the chaos and trying to explain that to her father. Then there's the baby coming while they're traveling. Then there's all of these smelly shepherds showing up out of nowhere. And then there's the whole angels constantly peering to them. Then Herod and the government are trying to kill us. And now we are running for our lives, going into Egypt. They had to be thinking in their mind, now what, God? What else could possibly go wrong here? Have you ever had a now what, God? If you're saying no, you're lying. And you need to come forward during the invitation. But I would like to suggest to you and point something out here. In the middle of your now what moments, God is still faithful. In the middle of when you're thinking, what else could possibly go wrong here? God is still in control. Because verse 19 always comes. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream in Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, go into the land of Israel, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Before you start complaining about your Christmas shopping, remember what this young family has gone through. During the craziest Christmas ever, well, the craziest Christmas ever turned out to be one of the first Christmas ever. But in the midst of all of it, God is faithful. God never leaves you in chaos. He is not the author of it. Today, I'll give you three thoughts as we wrap this up. Christmas chaos. If you're taking notes, number one, chaos grows in inconsistent men. Chaos grows in inconsistent men. You know, at a wedding, and by the way, aren't those wonderful? At a wedding, there's always a guy standing next to the groom. And we call that man the best man. Which in my mind, I'm always thinking, if he's the best man, why is she marrying him? He's, you should switch. Maybe he should be the lesser man. I say all this to say this. The best man is a consistent man. The best man is a consistent man. Sir, in 2018, be consistent. Come to church every week. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to your wife, sir. Be home after work. Spend less time on the golf course and more time playing ball with your kids. That bad habit that you have, you say, well, Pastor, that's not even the Bible. It's just a bad habit. That bad habit you have, let God help you conquer that. What a great testimony to your children to see that, you know, Dad used to, but all of a sudden he stopped. Let them see a difference in your life. Sir, if you're going to be anything in 2018, please be consistent. Because James warns us, 
A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man, an inconsistent man, is like a nuclear bomb in a family. You're waiting for it to go off. If your family is stable or your family is easily toppled and unstable, sir, it will be up to you. You and you alone will make the decision if your family is stable or unstable. Listen, listen, you can't control adults. So your kids are 28 and they're out there living in the world. You can't control adults. You can't even control teenagers all the time. You can ground them, but you can't always control them. You know what you can control, sir? You can control you. You can control how you act, how you behave. If you're going to make a commitment to Jesus, live up to it and be consistent in front of your family. By the way, we build statues for people that are consistent. We build them physically, memorialized. We talk about them greatly. But the people that are inconsistent, we lie at their funerals. Joseph leads his family. You can say a lot of things about Joseph, but Joseph consistently does what the angel tells him to do. Joseph consistently leads his family. Sir, the world is going crazy. Who knows what the president's going to tweet? Who knows what North Korea's going to do? Who knows what will happen with the economy, whether it's good or bad? Whatever happens, if you lose your job this year, be consistent for God because nothing else matters to your children than the testimony of their father. Be consistent, sir. If your family's in chaos, I'm going to tell you right now, it's probably your fault. See, this is why ladies' wives love me and husbands are like, don't come back there anymore. It's the last time I'm going to that church. Well, if this is your last time, let me really unload. No. Seriously, the majority of the issues and struggles I have with are from inconsistent men and fathers. Number two, ladies, let me pick on you. Chaos dies with godly women. You know the problem with terrorists? is that in militant Islamic communities, there are no strong women. You go and try telling your wife, um, I'm going to strap a bomb to myself and I'm going to blow myself up tomorrow. Your wife is going to, oh, no, you're not. You've got to clean out the garage. You promised to put those shelves up. We're going out Friday with the Johnsons. You think you're getting out of that? You're not blowing yourself up. Your mother's coming over for Christmas. You think you're getting out of that? If i got to be here, you're going to be here. You try pulling that nonsense on a strong, godly woman, you'll have, you have phone I'm Sorry, Akbed, my, my mom, my wife won't let me go. This. Females can either spread chaos or kill it. Ladies, want some proof? Well, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul tells them, hey, the young widows, um, they need to get married again. Don't put them on the church's support system. Because if you put them on the church support system, what they'll do, well, Tim Paul says, they'll just go around gossiping, causing problems, and a whole bunch of things. In fact, Paul will say in the King James, he said they'll become busybodies. Ladies, you can create drama like no one else. God bless you, some of you are drama mamas. Today, Listen, you can't escape chaos. You can't escape your kids and everything. But you know what? If your home is, your home should be a place of shelter from the chaos. If your home is chaotic, if your home is a place where drama and stress come to start, ladies, I'd like to suggest that it's your issue and you need to stop it. Don't believe me? Well, let me tell you what a godly woman can do. 
Peter will say this in 1 Peter chapter 1, chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. With wives who have unsaved husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. In the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, Mary is the hero. Listen, behind every good man, there's a woman behind him, right? Telling him what to do. Come on. Amen, sisters. Amen. Now, behind every, fail, you know, every failure, you're like, well, he didn't listen to his wife, right? You always got a way out there, ladies. In the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, Mary is the hero. Mary kills the drama. Mary makes sure her home is a safe haven from all the chaos in life. In the first family, it's Mary. Listen, Mary was on board with the virgin birth before Joseph, remember? Mary was like, well, Joseph, you don't want to marry me? That's up to you. That's your problem. You want to divorce me? Whatever. I'm still serving God, and I'm still going to be faithful. It was Mary who's at the cross, right? Okay, Joseph is probably dead, right? You know, men die before women, right? Because we've got a really good thing to say, Mark, and I'm not going to. Okay, Joseph is probably dead, but there's Mary. All the male disciples minus John have left, but there's Mary and a group of ladies. They're still there. Mary's the hero because Mary is consistent. Mary is backing her husband and Mary is pushing him to do the right thing. When drama comes in Mary's presence, she kills it. Ladies, instead of feeding the chaos, find God's will. Instead of bad-mouthing your husband, pray for him. I thought I'd get one spontaneous amen right there. I thought I'd get one. Ladies, Instead of turning to beer, turn to Jesus. You, you determine whether or not your house will be a house of drama or a house of peace. You can't determine so many things in this world. But ladies, you can determine that. And number three, I guess this is directed more towards young people. But chaos does not have to be inherited. Chaos does not have to be inherited. Albert Goring. Oh, if you know your history, maybe that word name Goring comes to mind. Goering, excuse me. Hermann Goering was his brother. Hermann Goering was in charge of the Luftwaffe of the Nazis. He was one of Hitler's second man. Instead of being like his brother, Albert Goering saved Jews. He hid Jews. He's personally responsible for hundreds of people, Jews, escaping the Holocaust. He decided to be unlike his family. You do not have to be like your father. You do not have to be like your mother. You can stop the cycle in your family today. Chaos doesn't have to be inherited. You see, let me just throw this. You can't defend it. You can only rebuke it. I love that. Rebuking means this, to express sharp, stern disapproval of. I will not be like my father. I will not be like my grandfather. The things and the issues that destroyed previous generations, it is not going to be that way. Jesus is going to change us. I come from a family. I come from a tradition of this, 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 and it's been destroying all of our families, and it just seems like a cancer in our home. It's going to stop today because the power of Christ, the power of the cross, 
The power of the blood of Jesus makes all things new. And if Jesus can conquer the grave, if God can speak this world into existence, he can end that cycle in your home. I do not have to be like this. I can stop it. I can stop it. Is this who you really want to be? Is this how you really want your home to go? Let's stop it today. December 24th, 1914. Sometime just before midnight. It's called the Christmas Truce. In the middle of World War I, which was considered and probably is the most gruesome war that's ever taken place on this planet. In the first year of that war, the Germans were dug in on their side and the English were dug on theirs. But it was Christmas Eve, and as it turned midnight, a lone voice in German, as the, the gun silenced, an ear feeling fell across the, the, the battlefield. A lone voice in German began to sing, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly The English soldiers began to sing with him. And not, they don't know who, but one brave soldier came out of his trench. And then another. And then another. The German soldiers and the English soldiers came across the no man's land. And there they met. They exchanged gifts. They exchanged coffee, bread, and desserts. Some of them hugged each other. It's been reported that even a soccer game broke out and they began to have a day. And that Christmas day became known as the Christmas truce. Now, let me tell you this. If Jesus can bring peace to a group of Germans, come on. If he can bring peace to the Englishmen, you notice the Irish weren't there. He can bring peace on a Christmas night, on a Christmas day, to people trying to kill themselves literally moments before. And he can bring peace and goodwill to your family. Pastor Steve, I'd love for that to happen. You know the number one thing? Do you know Christ as your personal Savior today? Has it been a time and place when you've accepted what Jesus did on the cross? It's a wonderful life even if all the world is chaos. When you're in God's will, there's peace. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? No one looking around, just you, me, and Jesus for a moment, sir, ma'am. We've talked about 